13. Well, wait a minute. Before I do that, you like a prayer at the beginning, don't you? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for this review that it reminds us of what we have learned, that it's uh, buried in our hearts and coming forth in good deeds. Thank you, Lord. And now for the verses that we're approaching today, bless them, O God, for they are your written word. Bless us with the power of the Holy Spirit as the word of God works in us effectually. Glorify yourself in your people, Great Green Run Baptist Church and all the churches of the world that truly worship you. Bless them by your word, we ask, O God. We love you. Amen. Verse 13, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of mere men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. Now, I will name, but there are a lot of people who will take that verse, and the, the whole sermon day is just that one verse. I'm not that type of teacher. I don't do that. I'm going to go through 20. But that verse is worthy of a whole sermon, isn't it? It is wonderful. And you probably have noticed that there's slight word differences between the New American Standard 2020 and the 1995. Up here, we usually have the 2020. Those 1995s that you have down in the pews are a little bit different. Same means the same thing. It's just an upgrade, I guess you would call it. Brethren, or should I say brothers and sisters, as the 2020 calls it. For this reason, we also constantly thank God. The apostles were thanking God for what they heard about how the word of God had worked effectively in the lives of this Thessalonian church that they had to leave so suddenly. Do you pray constantly for certain things? I know I've got some children that don't know the Lord. I pray constantly, earnestly for them. I pray constantly for Green Run Baptist Church. I pray constantly for its elders, its deacons, search committee, security team, and the praise team. What wondrous ministries we have here, and of course for teachers all through the church. I pray constantly for these things, because the word of God examples consistent prayers. I've been praying for my kids for so, so very many years. I've got one that's living righteously and one that's has revivals from time to time, is in one right now. So I'm praying for that revival to stick this time. For the other two, to bow the knee. Those songs, four songs we sang, did you see the gospel in them? Someone here today who does not know the Lord could have read the words of those songs and knew how to get saved. They were wonderful. And hopefully the words that I teach today would help anyone who doesn't know the Lord to come to know him. Surrender, submit, repent. So they're constantly thanking God that when these uh, Thessalonians received the word of God that they heard from the apostles, they accepted it, not as the word of mere men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Now, these apostles probably quoted some Old Testament verses in their gospel presentation, but most of what they probably said was what they knew and understood about salvation in Christ Jesus. 
his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and his promise to come back, all a very important part of what they were teaching. And it became the word of God written because they wrote, somebody saved the first two books of Thessalonians and other letters from the apostles, and we canonized them and we have them today to encourage us, to exhort us, and to implore us to live for the Lord. The word of God received and accepted. They received the word just as you are now. They hear it. But they did more than that. They accepted it. They took it into their hearts and revered them and allowed them. They submitted to those words to change their lives. And that is exactly what you're implored to do yourself when you read the word of God or you hear it at church. Take it in. To your life and change thereby. That's what the apostles constantly give thanks for. It really is the word of God. And it, you know, I like how the King James says those last few uh, words, uh, which is also at work in you who believe. It says effectually working in you. It has its effect on you. Effectually working. King James has quite a few good ones. We'll see another one here in a little while. But it all helps us to do what verse 12 told us to do, to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You live within the kingdom of God right now. You live within his glory right now. Yeah, there's glory promised in the future in heaven, but you live in his glory now. By the way you live your lives, you live worthy lives of his calling to, you, to him. The word of God is not the words of men. It's God using the words of men to put out his message called the inspiration of the spirit, inspiration of the scriptures by the spirit. Verse 14, for you brothers and sisters, or brethren in the 1995, Became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, where you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. Now, what a compliment, not flattery to the church in Thessalonica from the apostle, but what a compliment. We see in you the same struggle that we saw in Jerusalem right from the very beginning. Our countrymen there persecuted us, and now you are being persecuted by your countrymen. You're just like we were in Jerusalem. And Paul, you know, he can speak very emphatically about that, can he? Because he was one of the people persecuting the church. He held the robes of those who stoned Stephen to death. He was all for persecuting the church. Matter of fact, when he got saved, he was on the way to Damascus to put people in prison. He had a list of people that were Christians, we're going to eradicate this Christian church. They kept trying and trying, but couldn't do it, could they? Kill one, and God saves three more. <laughs> um, so Paul knew what uh, persecution was. And so he's, he heard of the persecution, well, experienced some of the persecution before he had to leave Thessalonica. But they continued to be persecuted by their countrymen. 
And to the Jews there, they were persecuted by the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles there were persecuted by the Jews and the Gentiles, both. This, these words kind of, why countrymen, you kind of think that there's a separation there. But remember, when Paul taught the gospel, spoke the gospel to the Thessalonians, he started with the Jewish synagogues. And it said in Acts 17 that many Greeks and women of renown joined the church. They got saved and were uh, one group together, Jew and Gentile together. So this persecution of the Jews and the Gentiles that got saved was from both Jews and Gentile non-believers. I make that an important point because a lot of the uh, things that I looked up didn't mention that. So now you got, as Pastor Dave would say, there's an extra, no extra charge for that. If anyone remembers that quote, quite often used. Even with a large print Bible, I sometimes have a hard time finding where I just was. That happens when you're just about approaching the, the wonderful class of the 70-year-olds. A few more months and I'll be joining those of you who are in their 70s. You have to look over a few things about our eyes But my eyes never stop seeing the excellence of God and the excellence of his word. Um, They'll never be poor enough, right, Ken? He's got some funky eyes, but he never forgets the word of the Lord and the glory of his God. Amen? Sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen. And you... You may not suffer deadly, painful persecutions in this country, but you felt the pang of loved ones, neighbors, workmates who make fun of you because you live righteously. That hurts. It hurts your feelings. And so you do feel that from your countrymen. And at some point in the near future, we could be experiencing physically painful persecutions because... This world is getting worse and worse, more vile as time goes on, which is a sign of the Lord's imminent return, isn't it? Yahoo! Glory. At some point, I've got to get my little glory guy back out here. I don't know where I put him, but he'll come out here soon. There he is. I'll keep him ready. In case you weren't here last week, remember our glory guy. All right. Now, a Keith story. We'll stop for a minute. We got another Keith story. You get a lot of those from me. When I was at Faith Bible Church, I would watch Pastor Dave as he preached. And when he would hit a really good note, I would be in the front seat. Not everyone could see it, but I would stick this up. And Dave would look over at me. Yeah, glory. (laughs) I did that to him all the time. My wife wouldn't let me. I wanted to get a balloon one time and, and stick this on the string and let it loose. David never had to go through that because Gina stopped it. <laughs> Somebody says, thank you, Gina. Um, I love that, brother. I miss him so much. Verse 15, it continues to talk about the Jews. Now, most of the time when they're talking about the Jews, they're talking about the hierarchy. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, lawyers, you know, the the uh, power uh, structure of the Jewish faith. 
Typically, that's who they're talking about. But of course, there were Jews who agreed with them and, and went along with them on things. But the leadership of the Jews persecuted the church right from the very beginning, and they continued to do so. And so, let's explain a little bit about these Jews and what they did in verse 15. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. Now, what prophets uh, is Paul talking about? He's not talking about the New Testament short-lived prophets of the church. There was a short period of time with the apostles and prophets. Those are not the prophets we're talking about here. We're talking about all the way through the Old Testament, you know, you, you go in the, in the scriptures and see what happened to some of those prophets. One of them was sawn in two with a saw. Ugh, terrible. Uh, Jeremiah was placed in a pit with a rope around his elf and put down in a, a well that was full of sewage. And pulled out later. He didn't die from that one, but he, he died nonetheless later. There were a lot of horrible deaths that came upon the prophets of God by the Jews, meaning mostly the hierarchy. But at that time, um, a lot of people got in, regular, you know, Hebrews got in on the act. They killed the prophets, and then they killed the Lord Jesus Himself. They had the Romans do it. Uh, why? You know, they could have done it. They killed Stephen, didn't they? They stoned him to death. And you know when people are stoned, they don't take these little, little rocks that size and just fling them at them like you see in some of these Hollywood movies. No. When people are stoned, it's very graphic. Close your ears of your children. They took great big boulder-looking things and threw them down on top of them to kill them. They stoned Stephen to death. As a matter of fact... They stoned Paul in Lystra before he ever went to Thessalonica, before he even went to Philippi. They stoned him and thought he was dead. Maybe he was, we don't know. But he sure was resurrected if they did kill him. Because after they left, he just stood up out of the stones and went on and started preaching the gospel some more. That is the mentality that we need to have. No matter what obstacle, no matter what hindrance comes our way, we continue to preached the gospel to people. And you continue to disciple Christians, young Christians, to become adult Christians by the word of God, no matter what the hindrance. That was a ministry I've participated in for many years, not doing it right now, because no one's asking for it. But discipleship was a major part of my life. Took a lot of hours away from home. And it seemed like every time I was uh, assigned to someone, it always had to be the toughest one possible. I wonder why. Is that because I'm kind of hard-nosed? Am I kind of tough? I don't know. But I took it on. Every time somebody gave me a tough guy, I discipled him. It'd be nice to get an easy one. Anyone here an easy one? I'll, I'll take you on in my old age as a reward. Uh, they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and they drove us out. In another four words, the apostles, and a lot of the Christians were driven out of Jerusalem. It became a small church after a while. Um, they are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all people. Now, do not think that that verse is a reason for you to persecute Jewish people. 
That verse was used over the centuries to persecute Jewish people by Christians. They were wrong in doing so. They're only, the Jewish people are only hostile to all people because they hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ going out to all people. That's it. They're not hostile in any other way to all people. So why attack them? No. God is sovereign. If they hinder you in your gospel presentation, God will find a way for you to get to it some other way. You don't have to persecute Jews because of that. Not at all. God vindicates himself. And you'll see in these verses that God does vindicate himself on the Jews. You don't have to do a thing about it. Pray for the salvation of every Jew you ever meet. Love them. Because it could be that they're one that is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's plenty of Jews in that book. There's still some in there waiting for you to preach the gospel to them. Verse 16. Here's the reason that I just spoke of why they are hostile to all people. Hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Not only did they hinder from preaching to other Jews, but they hindered preaching to the Gentiles. Now, there was a movement at the time that Paul was ministering where the Jews, the hierarchy of the Jews, was having a somewhat of an evangelistic crusade among the Gentiles. They were proselytizing Gentiles. As you saw in some of the Gospels, there were people then when Jesus was ministering that had come under the Jewish faith. They were Gentiles, they were pagans, but they came into Judaism. And there was some crossover there with John the Baptist and had to switch from John the Baptist to Jesus a little later. But the jealousy that the Jews had were mostly that the Gentiles were being preached the word of God, yes. But also, they were taken from the numbers that these people, these Jewish preachers were trying to proselytize Gentiles into the Jewish faith. These Gentiles were swarming to Christ rather than to Judaism, okay? So he had a dual purpose in their jealousy. You, that's an aside, too. A lot of preachers don't talk about that one, but I'm a history buff. What can I say? So that's another one, no extra charge. With the result that they always reach the limit of their sins. But wrath has come upon them fully. Wow. Now you know from Romans 9, talks about the Jewish people, how God loves them, and there's going to be a revival among them. But all people experience wrath through their lives who don't know Christ. All people, all your life. You're experiencing forms, small amounts of wrath all along, waiting for the day when the final wrath will fall upon them at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Christians don't face that judgment seat of Christ. Christians face the Bema seat of Christ, which is a seat or judgment of rewards. You either have a lot of rewards or you don't have very many or you have none. You're just there by the skin of your teeth. (laughs) Don't be that person. Have rewards. Preach the gospel. Teach the word. Comfort those who need it. Exhort and teach those who need it. Disciple 
people into the full adulthood of the Christian faith and have plenty of reward at the Bema seat. But these Jews, and we can look at history and see poor Jewish people, you know, people who maintain it, they suffered all along, still suffering today in some places because they will not accept the Lord Jesus Christ and they continue to try to hinder the gospel of Christ if they can. Of course, the church is so huge now, they have a hard time of it, but still, we'll try. We do not need to help God in his wrath on Jewish people one little bit. He's got it under control. Pray for them, as I said before. Now, 70 AD, Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans because of a rebellion. That was a form of wrath, but it wasn't the wrath. The wrath is reserved for judgment day at the end of all things. But Paul here is proclaiming, as much as awful things that these people are doing to you, God has it under control. His wrath will take care of that. You just continue on with what I've been teaching you to do. All right? And that should be encouraging to you. One last thing to have to do. You don't have to persecute Jews. It's off your list. Nice. Verse 17. But we, brothers and sisters, or brethren, having been orphaned from you by absence for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Here comes that love talk again. Remember last week I was talking, we had a verse where there was a lot of the love talk going on, and I made a joke about, you know, love mush books and all. I won't do that this week, even though I just did. Orphaned. Basically, most versions uh, use the term taken away. We were ripped away from your presence, and that was through persecution. And that's where we get some more King James coming up. I love the King James in some part. I don't know why I keep playing with these. I'm not using them. It's because they're crooked. That's why. If you know me, they have to stay uncrooked. Crooked is ungood. Um, absence. Orphan. It's a terrible thing. Just think about it. Not for yourself as a parent, but think about the child who is taken away from their parents. Through death, harming, anything else. What goes through that child's mind and heart when they are taken away from their parents? It's horrifying. And Paul is, again, using a parental um, example for us to understand how he felt when he was taken away from the Thessalonian church. He says, I was orphaned. I loved you so much, and yet I was ripped away from you. I had to go somewhere else. Matter of fact, he didn't go on his own volition. If you look in Acts 17, it shows that the church itself, the newfound church, went to him and said, please leave. And he actually told him where to go. To go to Berea. Wow, okay, I'll go. Because, you know, the, the church is telling me to go. I take it as the wisdom of God, I'll go. Somewhat to make it easier on the church. But it didn't come easy, did it? They continued to be persecuted anyway. But it says his absence is for a short while. Because 
he really does want to come and visit again and see them. In person, he was ripped away, but not in spirit. How many times have you used that term or heard that term? I'm with you in spirit. I know Pastor Dave and I, when we go to a conference or go somewhere else, uh, normally we try to fight to be back here by Sunday morning. But occasionally on a vacation type thing, it might go over into a Sunday and we wouldn't be. Every single time, he would say, I missed you so much. I was with you last Sunday in spirit. And I try to be that same way myself. Orphaned. He's with them in spirit. We're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. You know, when I, uh, before I talk about that verse, that reminds me of all the people that are not seated here with us right now, but are Green Run Baptist Church. Can't be here. We've got this horrible virus going around and it keeps people at home. And there's wisdom in that. There's safety in that. And we, the elders, understand that. And we want you to stay home and and be safe. Absolutely. Someday you will be able to fill these seats back up. Last week, we had nice weather and the place was almost empty. This week, we have rotten weather and the place is half full. What a blessing. Thank you for encouraging through that weather today. It's encouraging to have people here that are Green Run Baptist Church and who are prospective Green Run Baptist Church. We glory in having visitors. We love them so much. And we love people who stay. We love people who work among us in the labors of the church. A great love there. But Paul was eager with great desire to see their face. Great desire. That's not just, oh, um, I knew you uh, for three weeks and I left. And uh, since you're, you're a church and I'm an apostle, I guess I should visit you. No. He desired eagerly to be with them. Just as you and the elders desire eagerly to see all of Green Road Baptist Church back together, here together, where we can hug and we can talk and we can fellowship and we can uh, give testimony of God's work among us. So do it anyway on email, text, and phone. You know, we're in the modern age. Keep up with one another with testimony, with witness, with love, especially love. People are going through a lot and they need your love. Keep up with one another. We have no excuse for not doing so. And Paul is our example He wants to see their face with great desire. In verse 18, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and Satan hindered us. You know, we, as in apostles, wanted to come back to you, and I, more than once. Now, that term, more than once, I don't know what other translations use, but the emphasis, probably our scholar, our seminary scholar would probably tell us what the Greek word is there, but... The only Greek I know is Nick over at Nick's Diner, so I can't really tell you the Greek word. The only chuckle I got, my wife usually chuckles at it, and she didn't. All right, that one went on by. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. That more than once is emphatic. 
It wasn't just one or two times. It was multiple times is the emphasis here. He really, really wanted to get back to them. And Satan hindered us. Now, here comes that name, Satan. Ooh, we've got to have a little sermon on him. Never glorifying him, but warning you. You need to be warned of his ministry, quote unquote. It's not a ministry, it's a hindrance, like the word says. Before Christ came, Satan had full swing over the earth to keep people from, from faith in God. The Jews were the only ones hearing it. Occasionally a proselyte would come in here and there. Not many in the Old Testament, a few. Satan had full swing on the earth. But when Christ came, remember when he uh, sent out the 70 to go out into the villages and preach the gospel? When they came back, talking, oh, God did this and God did that. What a great ministry God did among people. What did Christ say? I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. He fell. His, his not ministry, his work was changed forever. No longer could he stop the gospel from being presented to the world. He could do a lot of other things. He could do some hindering. He could do some tempting. He can, you know, really make a mess for you. His fiery darts are especially aimed at pastors and elders and deacons. But you too. He's called the adversary. Matter of fact, the word, I better not say Greek again, but the word in the old, in the original language, it actually means adversary. Satan is an adversary for us. And here Paul, the great apostle, is hindered from making a visit. Now, that doesn't depict the power of Satan. It depicts the sovereignty of God. Uh, Gene and I had a very dear friend years ago, a mother of a, one of the guys I discipled, one of the tough ones. But his mother was so grateful for my ministry and the ministry of, my, of Gina and some other friends in working with him. What she used to say of Satan was, well, I can only say one good thing about him. He's a very persistent person. (laughs) Remember that, Gina? He's a very persistent person. That woman always had a good thing to say about anyone. Even her wayward son, she had good things to say about him. And we did too. We have a lot of little mannerisms in our home that came from our ministry to that fella. Because sometimes you'll see me walk up to Gina and say, gee, Gina, you sure look good today. That was his term. And what Gina likes to throw back at me sometimes to kind of needle me is, don't I always look good? Not just today? Yeah, wives. Can't live without them, for sure. Satan hindered us. So Satan's work among us is a hindering an adversarial work on us. But he is not sovereign. Occasionally you'll hear people talk about Satan and they they put him up on an equal footing with the power of God. No way, Jose. Satan was a created angel who went astray and was cast out of heaven. We call him many things. Devil is one. Lucifer, Beelzebul, 
Matter of fact, one of the times when uh, the Jews were accusing Christ of doing, casting out demons and doing miracles in the power of Beelzebul, Satan, he said, well, hey, you, you, who do you cast demons out by the name of? You know, uh, are you Beelzebul too? No. He said, before you can take a person's plunder, you've got to bind them or get them aside somehow so that you can take their stuff. And he was directly pointing to Satan. Satan has a certain kind of hindrance to him and his work. Once he was cast out, he cannot do anything he wants to you or to your ministry. He can try, but God is sovereign. God, the Holy Spirit, is sovereign, and he's sovereign in your life and your ministry. So go on with courage, go on with power, and preach the gospel. Teach the weak the word of God, and testify to one another to encourage in the power of that Holy Spirit, no matter what Satan is doing around you. Verse 19, for who is our hope or joy? Matter of fact, that reminds me, I forgot that uh, King James verse. When we were talking about the hostility going on here in Thessalonica and elsewhere, we talked about Acts 17 and how the Jews stirred up people to have a riot and it caused Paul to have to leave. In my version, and most of yours, it uses the word wicked. You know, the Jews went out and gathered a crowd of wicked people to incite this riot. The King James calls them lewd fellows of the baser sort. (laughs) I love it. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. Daniel has to deal with them on a fairly regular basis, don't you? Yeah. The police and firemen, paramedics, all of them face lewd fellows of the baser sort who come and ask for your help, but... They stay lewd during your helping them. What's up with that? Show some respect. Lewd fellows of the baser sort were encouraged and gathered by the Jews to go against the Christians. Isn't that terrible? Wicked people were used. Can't you do it on your own? You have to go out and get some base people to help you? No, I guess... They were that vile themselves to use those people. Satan hindered us. Verse 19, for who is our hope or joy or crown of pride? I think one of the versions, I think the old 1995 used exaltation. In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. Oh boy. I hope that you see yourself among that group. We are all Christian descendants of the work of the apostles. They were the first, Jesus and then the apostles went out, preached the gospel, people got saved, they preached the gospel, and it has continued on until you today are a benefit of that work of the gospel. The word of God has reached you and touched you in a way that effectually worked in you and changed you into a person of God, worthy of, his, of the call of God in Christ Jesus. These Thessalonians were his hope. Now, not his only hope, because Jesus is our only hope. But there is a hope in our Lord by seeing people saved. 
Have you ever led someone to the Lord? Have you ever discipled that person into adulthood in Christian name? I have. It is a wonderful, hope-filling experience. You've got to experience it. Now, I'm not just trying to talk about feelings here. I'm talking about obeying the Lord. But the experience is undescribable, indescribable, so wonderful. I remember my favorite one. I had a Jewish uh, friend that I was working with, and we were tra- commuting to work back and forth. Now, he wasn't the Jew with the, with the locks and the hat. He was a Jew as being born into it, believed some of what they believed, but he wasn't you know, into their synagogue and all. He was just a Jewish person and let you know he was, all right, in their tradition. And back and forth, I talk about the Lord with him as much as he would let me. But one day it came to a head. We were in the Gidunk at the Naval Air Station. I was working for the civil service at the time, loading and unloading airplanes. And Steve and I were sitting eating our lunch together. He probably bought something at the Gidunk, and I had my box lunch. You know, Gina put my homemade bread sandwiches and my banana in there and sometimes an apple, and I was eating that. And a guy by the name of Mills, I won't tell you his last name, came over, sat down, and he's kind of like an agitator guy. Non-Christian and an agitator guy. You know how you like to, to get you under your skin? Some people just love to do that. Well, he came over, and uh, at the time, Steve was living with Gina's sister in a wrong relationship. And the guy came over and says, Hey, Keith, what do you think about Steve here, blank, 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 with your sister-in-law? How does that make you feel? And, you know, he was trying to make me blush, trying to make me embarrassed in front of my friend and try to, you know, make my friend a little uncomfortable too. So what I said was, well, they're both going to hell, so they might as well enjoy one, one another as much as they possibly can because they won't be able to in the future. That's all I said. Silence was golden. Both of them just That was it. Mills got up and left. Steve stayed. But boy, on the way home that night in the car, you think I'm going to hell? But I'm such a good person. I do all these good things. And he was telling the truth. He was a wonderful person, very generous person. You know, and I do this and I do that. There's no way that I could possibly be going to hell. And so, guess what door that opened? The gospel of Jesus Christ. I talked about God the Father. I talked about how sinful man is. I talked about Jesus and his crucifixion, his death on his behalf. And then I talked about submitting, surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. Gave him a few tracts and a book. A few weeks later, I mean, days went by and we talked you know, a little bit. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But it wasn't long. A few days later, he, he pulled up and he's just lit up. Keith, last night I got on my knees and I prayed to receive Jesus Christ, to accept him, to surrender to him, to believe in him, to worship him, to do all that you've been talking about. And he says, I can't wait to learn this Bible. When can we start studying it together? That was a discipleship that was fun. For over a year, we went through the whole New Testament together and parts of the Old Testament together, verse by verse. 
kind of like what I do here. So he got an earful. He's our hope, my hope. Joy. It's joyful to see people change. Do it. Work the gospel. Work the word of God. Or a crown of pride or exaltation. You know, any crowns that we earn when we see Jesus, what are we going to do with them? Make your expressions. Show it. You're going to throw any crown that you receive from the Lord at his feet when you see him. I'm not going to keep any reward to myself. Everything that the Lord gives me, I'm going to just throw at his feet in obeisance. I'll be on my knees, my hands down on the floor, my forehead touching the floor. Because I'm before holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Glory be unto his holy name. And all this hope and this joy and this crown of pride in the presence of who at his coming? Jesus. Jesus is coming back. And there's a lot of eschatology out there. And, you know, I'm not going to bother which form you choose. But he's coming. And at his coming, the wicked will perish for eternity in hell. And the saved will be in the glorious presence of righteousness forever. You will never again sin. It won't even come to mind your sin. It will be gone. You have a brand new body that can stand in the presence of the Lord. A new heaven, a new earth was sung about today. Read about. A new heaven and new earth. The old one is going to dissolve in intense heat. Everything here is going to be gone. You know, your trust funds, your bank accounts, your houses, all that stuff is going to burn, but you won't. The ungodly will burn in hell for eternity because they're eternal souls just like we are. But those who know Christ will not burn. They will glory in the presence of God forever. Verse 20, for you are our glory and joy. You are the glory and joy of your elders and your deacons. Every one of you. You are the joy and glory of the Apostle Paul, of the Apostle Peter, Thomas, many others. You're their glory. They started out with the gospel in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, as you should. And now they see you at work. I forgot to look way over in the corner today. Glory. I hope that word resounds within your hearts throughout the week. That you glory in the work that God has done in you. My faith has found a resting place. I really enjoyed that verse in there. It says, my heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through his blood. If you're here among us today or listening online and you are not saved, I hope you've heard plenty today to be implored to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of your life, fully Give it up. If you're a Christian here today who is clinging on to some worldly things, 
Let go and give your all to the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy that wonderful relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glory that we have in walking in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to walk faithfully, to walk in a way that our light shines, that the gospel of Jesus Christ not only exudes from our lifestyle, but from our lip service as well. May you be glorified not only by our lives, but by our preaching and teaching and sharing all of the ministries that you have taught us in the word of God. May they exalt and glorify you. Praise be unto your most holy name, O God, for we love you. Just as Paul earnestly desired to see the face of his beloved ones in Thessalonica, you desire earnestly to see our faces with you in heaven. Oh God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you first loved us. And now we're able to love you and love others. May we go from this church today loving you and loving one another with a desire that is earnest. Glory, glory, glory be to the most high God. We love you, Lord.